Y'all ever thought about the wild missions we've been on? We've taken out planes, trains, tanks. I'm not going to even think about the submarines. And now we got cars flying in the air. Fast 9 is the newest, fastest, and furiousest film in the Fast and Furious franchise-est. Fast 9 has, get this, fast cars, John Cena, and finally, Ludacris in space! Luda! But here's the take. Fast 9 is about an actual angel. Yeah, and while I think Fast 9 is about... Oh, wait, I'm sorry. What, what the f*** did you just say? I said that Vin Diesel's character, Dominic Toretto, is a f- Angel Man. Oh God, it's gonna be one of those episodes. This is Galaxy Brains. Strap in, Buster. We're talking Fast Nine. mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to Galaxy Brains, the podcast where movies, TV, and overthinking collide. I'm Dave Schilling. And I'm Dave's own personal Mr. Nobody, Jonah Ray. Each week on the show, we start with the logical brain, advance to the critical brain, question everything with the interrogation brain, and of course, arrive to the blessed state of the galaxy brain. Today, our guest is film reporter for the LA Times and the co-host of the Asian Enough podcast, Jen Yamato. And we're revving the engines of our minds to talk about the world's most beloved religious text, the Fast and Furious franchise. Usually we call the next segment Logic Brain, but that doesn't really seem super appropriate considering we left logic and reason all the way back in Rio. Once again, I must implore you to heed our spoiler warning. We are going to talk about the entire Fast series up to and including F9. So if you haven't caught up with these films, turn off the podcast now. But if this is your regulated time for listening to a podcast, why don't you just fill it up by leaving us a five-star review? I'm sure we'll see you again. Oh, I'll tell you all about it when I see you again. The Fast and Furious movies are increasingly about the very literal version of family. Our beloved lunkhead Dom has assembled his makeshift family slash crime syndicate slash team of super spies over the course of eight increasingly absurd films. But we haven't spent much time on his actual bloodline until now. Fast 9 revolves around Dom's long-simmering rivalry with his brother, Jake Toretto, played by the People's Republic of China's favorite wrestler, John Cena. What, what do you mean? China's favorite wrestler is John Cena. What is that? During the press for this movie... 
John Cena referred to the the land mass known as Taiwan as a country. And that is not something the Chinese government appreciates. Oh, no. It's a little weird for John Cena to say that, knowing that, one, China's box office is a huge revenue driver for American film studios. And two, John Cena actually speaks Mandarin Chinese. I did not know that. That's almost as believable as John Cena and Vin Diesel being brothers. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's true. John Cena learned to speak Mandarin Chinese while on the road with WWE. So you'd think in the course of learning the language, he would have learned the cultural sensitivities around Taiwan. But hopefully the character he plays in this movie will learn that family is more important than ego because that's what this movie is all about. It is about John Cena's character becoming a good guy when he started as a bad guy, which is every single Fast and Furious movie now. Now, why are Dom and Jake not friends? Because Dom blames Jake for his father's death. Jake feels betrayed by Dom. Jake is trying to steal a device that has the power to... uh, Yeah, I believe the device had the ability to... Hack the planet. Oh, yeah, I think you're right. It hacks every computer. It looked like a hamburger bun. Either way, it's super important. And Jake wants to use it to rule the world, I think. Anyway, all you need to know about this movie is that your favorite characters are back and they go to space. Okay, great. <laughs> Let's finally throw that logic out the window and move on to Critical Brain, shall we? Jonah, this is only your second Fast and Furious movie ever. So let's start with like the thing that really weirded me out the most, Dave. What were the things with the four wheels that went really fast? Okay, those were cars. <laughs> okay, now I get it. W- would you like me to tell you who the bald guy is? That's The Rock, right? Correct. Yeah, that's Dwayne The Rock Johnson. Okay, great. Yeah, actually, we ended up watching Jumanji instead. <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> Uh-oh. Welcome to the jungle. All I know really about these movies is that it's got cars, ridiculous stunts, and it's about family. So you understood the entire movie then? Yeah, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) There's really not much else to it. You kind of nailed it. Yeah, when we saw the screening, you know, there was times where people would show up and people would start clapping. And then I would just go, he's probably from something earlier. Yeah, it was a really weird experience. It was like a packed theater. I mean, as close to packed as you can get during the pandemic. But boy, there was this like an energy. People were drinking beers and like hooting and hollering and stuff. It was at the Chinese theater, the TCL Chinese theater in Hollywood. And just a strange experience to be back in a movie theater and to be seeing that particular movie in that environment. Because I do love these movies since, you know, college, really, because the first one came out in 2001. It is now it is now 2021. These movies have existed on the planet for 20 years. They are part of the zeitgeist. These movies are huge. And like a lot of film nerd people we know love these movies. Yeah. And I want to say something related to the critical response to this movie, because it seems like people forgot what these movies were about when they started writing the reviews. Oh, this movie stinks. Oh, I can't believe they haven't figured out another story for these movies. They're all the same. Yeah, you're right. They are all the same. That's what's great about these movies. You show up every couple years. They do the same five things over and over again. You get a couple really clever stunts and a really great monologue from Vin Diesel that he kind of mumbles with his eyes closed. There are moments that separate us, but we always come back together. Like, that's it. That's what I need. No more, no less. 
They they delivered. Vin Diesel's acting style is sometimes when he tilts his head back a bit and kind of squints his head. He's like a dad trying to read the menu at a Denny's. <laughs> Let's see. They got a Grand Slam. I come here because I get a family discount. Yep. That's exactly what, <laughs> that's what it's all about. <laughs> He dresses like a dad at a Denny's too. <laughs> and let, let's talk about like the, they did the de-aging process for young John Cena and young Vin Diesel, right? That's what it was? Those are actors. Towards the end, I was like, wait, did they kind of reskin their faces a bit? I think they did. There is no way. I'll tell you why. Okay. I'll tell you why I know those are actors. One, they look totally different. <laughs> the John Cena and Vin Diesel. That's number one. Number two, we get a lot of shots of them in the wide standing next to each other. One thing you need to know about Vin Diesel, this man is desperately short. Yes. He is one of the shortest actors ever. But No, no, I think, I honestly believe, towards the end, I think they kind of digitally put their faces on these actors. I, maybe, maybe in one scene. Either way, I was feeling an uncanny valley and I was uncomfortable. I can tell you who wasn't DH, Helen Mirren, who looks great in this movie. She has always looked great. She will look great till the day she dies. This is the first time ever, Jonah, that she's ever driven in one of these movies. Get the break for me, would you, darling? How many of these has she shown up for? I think this is number three for her. She is Shaw's, Jason Statham's mother. Okay, that checks, because they're both from England. And they both talk like this, eh? Huh? <laughs> That's an Australian accent. I sound like... I don't know what that accent was. It was awful. <laughs> she has been in these movies. She's never driven. She has said multiple times, mostly on the Fast 8 press tour, that she wanted to drive a car. If you're not driving a car in this movie, you might as well not be around. I mean, I think Kurt Russell probably feels similarly of like, I'm just in these movies to kind of like give exposition and I don't get to drive a car. Everybody else is to drive a car. Nobody else <laughs> that matters is not driving a car. So I was glad to see that as a fan of the franchise, but it was also the silliest, longest, most unnecessary scene. <laughs> I don't know why we needed to have a chase there other than to give Helen Mirren something to do. And is it true that she just wasn't allowed to drive in the other ones because the insurance or her management team or something like that, they were just like, it's best not to have an old lady doing any kind of stunt driving? Yeah, apparently that that's uh, <laughs> something people would be concerned about. That said, Jonah, you and I have both been on movie sets before. There's no way she's actually driving a car, is she? No, I think she's just on the back of a trailer. But she must have, like, at least drove away when she dropped him off. Yeah, that, that might have been the most that she got to do. And they cut right before she crashes into a dumpster. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> I hit another dumpster. I think it's probably not even a trailer. She's probably, like, on a soundstage inside a car, like, on a gimbal. Which is funny that you mentioned that because we get to see almost the exact same thing later in the movie with the jet. Oh, yeah. Where they finally got Cypher. Nope, she was in a drone in a VR simulator machine. Boo! Boo! I hate tricks. Don't trick me in a movie. Oh, that makes me mad. You know what wasn't a trick, though? These stunts. How about that 18-wheeler flip? That was insane. There was stuff that was in here that was just... And the 18-wheeler flip, crazy. The part where Vin Diesel's Dom slingshots himself across a canyon... Is that par for the course for these things? Yes, 100%. These movies get sillier every single year. And no one's arms have been torn out. No, so far, so good. I'm glad you're bringing up the fact that nothing horrible happens to these people. Because there is finally, after eight movies, a moment where Roman Pierce, Tyrese's character, says, what's going on here? How come I've never been hurt? 
We've been doing this for how long? I haven't even gotten a scar. Look at my jacket. There's a bullet hole in my jacket. How did I not get shot? And I had to ask myself that question, too. If they're starting to recognize the absurdity, we might be going in territory nobody's prepared for with these films. You're saying that as ridiculous as it is, the movies have been grounded. Uh, but now they're starting to question... Question the nature of their own reality, Jonah. He did bring up some good points, and it was also a meta-commentary on action movies and a lot of actors in action movies where it's like he just talks about how like their clothes are never wrinkled even. He even brings that up. And um, I've talked to a couple guys that have directed some bigger actors in kind of action and movies. Sometimes there are stipulations where they can't look bad. Like, oh, you, so you're all muddy. Nope, I'm not muddy. Nope, my hair's fine. But I've said too much. Yeah, it is increasingly absurd. Fans have been lobbying to send these characters to space for years now. Please tell me that's not a Pontiac Fiero strapped to a rocket engine. Impressive. I know. My question would the International Space Station actually let these people on to their space station? Have they seen Alien? Have they seen any sci-fi movie where you let some strangers onto your space station and everything goes to shit? Yeah, that's true. And I think they'd feel really conflicted because it's like, you know, they're at the International Space Station and then two black guys roll up. Do they really want to let them in? Well, there goes the neighborhood of space. The space neighborhood. Uh-oh, look who's moving in. <laughs> Ooh, this is going to be bad for our property values in space. Everything was fine on the International Space Station until two rappers moved in right next door. Method Man and Red Man in How High Q. How high? Past sky high. <laughs> I do love these movies because they, they didn't quite go there. But they get close enough that we can make the joke about that. <laughs> like, okay, we're going to tease that maybe there's some racial tension in space, but we're not going to go there. Racial tension in space! <laughs> the movies, as we have pointed out, have gotten increasingly ridiculous. Vin Diesel has a scene where I think he fights off 20 men by himself and tears down the roof of a building or something, he just brings it down on them, and then falls in the water, doesn't drown. Yeah. Instead of drowning, he has a vision. And then Letty saves him. She's like ethereal and like grabs him out of the water. It's just, I'm sorry. This movie might be the most religious film I've seen since God's Not Dead. This is the most religious movie you've ever seen. Okay, well, this and Barabbas. The true God says life. I only answer to him. I have no God. You're a big Barabbas head. Love of Barabbas. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> These characters are invincible, Jonah. Completely invincible. <laughs> I have not seen any of them bleed in a long time. So I have to ask, if they are invincible, are they immaculate? As in conception? <laughs> We don't have the time to get into the origin story of little Brian, but that's not what I mean. I'm talking about immaculate as in holy, as in Dom Toretto is maybe literally an actual angel. Okay, generally, I think this is a pretty cool theory, but I don't <laughs> I don't fully understand how this lines up with the literal things we see in the movie. There's no angel wings. There's no one floating around. No one's transcending time and space. There is space. That's true. Let me break this down for you so you understand. Okay. So Letty, Michelle Rodriguez's character, dies in Fast 4. Her car explodes. Kaboom. Yes. To this point, you assume someone dies in these movies, they stay dead. This is the fourth movie. But Letty doesn't die. By Furious 6, she's back. And her death was faked, right? And she has amnesia 
totally normal people stuff to do. Happens all the time. Yes, exactly. This is a soap opera. Yeah, exactly. Okay, it's not spiritual or supernatural quite yet, but it is getting us into that territory. So here's the thing. Actually, in my opinion, Letty is still dead. Deceased. An ex-person. Unalive. Now, Dom is also dead. Okay, hold on, Hot Rod. Slow down. Dom's dead? Vin Diesel's character is dead? Yes, here's where it gets good. In Fast Forward, Dom crashes into Phoenix Calderon to get revenge for the death of Letty. We think he survives, but he didn't. Dom dies along with Phoenix Calderon. What we see later, the police showing up, Brian telling Dom to keep running, all that stuff at the end of the movie, that is Dom receiving his choice in the afterlife. Brian is saying, will you keep running from what you've done or will you face the ultimate judgment? Jesus Christ, Dave. <laughs> no, 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 no. He comes in later, okay? <laughs> this is all metaphor. Dom turns himself in at the end of Fast Four. This is him saying he'll accept judgment from the Lord. Yes, but doesn't he get broken out of jail by Brian at the end of Four? I appreciate your attention to detail here. This is a metaphor, though, Jonah. Brian is really Brian, but he's actually dead now, too. He couldn't keep running forever. His friends are angels who have taken the image of Dom's partners. They're rescuing him from going to hell for his crimes. So you think Dom is going to hell? How many people has that dude killed with his Dodge Charger? <laughs> More than we can count. Yeah, uh, just in this movie alone, I think he took out half a city. <laughs> Instead of hell, Dom is going to purgatory. But in this case, purgatory is just being sent back to Earth. Dom's penance for his crimes is to right the wrongs of his past and help bring salvation to the world. Kind of like Sam Beckett from Quantum Leap, but bald and not as articulate. Oh boy. This gets so insane every second you stop fucking talk. Okay, so at the end of Furious 7, Brian doesn't drive off into the sunset. He's leaving purgatory and going to heaven, okay? He lives in heaven and he can come back whenever he wants. Is that how heaven works? Yeah, it's kind of like a day pass or it's like Rum Springer for the Amish. <laughs> Han is dead though, okay? He is dead. He died in Tokyo Drift. Letty is dead. She died in Fast 4 and Fast and Furious. When they come back, they've been made angels too. Mr. Nobody is God himself, manipulating events to assist Dom and the family. Cypher is... Satan! The war is between good and evil for the fate of our eternal souls. Jonah, I've been saved! I've seen the light! The Fast Saga is basically the Book of Revelations, but with cards! Holy shit, Dave. What if you're right? I was blind, but now I can see. Ask any racer, any real racer. It don't matter if you win by an inch or a mile. Let's go say five Hail Marys. Then come back and explain all this again to LA Times reporter and Fast Fam super fan, Jen Yamato. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go 
to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Welcome back to Galaxy Brains. Divine Intervention has brought us together on this blessed day to find out if Fast 9 is actually a sacred text full of spiritual salvation, or if it's just a movie about illegal street racing. Today, we are joined by LA Times film reporter, co-host of the Asian Enough podcast, and one of the nation's foremost experts on the Fast and Furious franchise, Jin Yamato. Jen, thank you so much for joining me today. Oh, thank you so much, Hashtag Family. Yes, when you're here, you're family, just like at the Olive Garden. So you've seen Fast 9 just like I have. And so you know that there is a moment in this film where Tyrese gives his monologue about how they never get hurt and they have not died throughout years of some of the most ridiculous adventures that anyone could possibly go on. You might even call it Tyrese's galaxy brain moment. <laughs> you might call it that, yeah. And that's what led me to this idea that Dom is actually an angel, that Dom and all of the Fast family are deceased and are in purgatory. And Mr. Nobody is God, Cypher is the devil, and this is the book of revelations taking place <laughs> on our planet. Am I crazy? <laughs> is this madness? I mean... Uh, I feel like I'm open to the possibility. And certainly when you lay out all of the religious imagery and symbolism that has been seeded in throughout the entire franchise, you're like, hold on a second. What is going on here? Listen, this is more important than anything, that you're just open to it. You don't have to say yes. I, I might convince you down the road in this conversation, but the fact that you're open to this means that we can have a dialogue. <laughs> Let's hear it. Let's talk about the biblical allusions in this movie. Because this is a movie about brothers, right? Brothers fighting, brothers splitting up. So that makes me think about Cain and Abel. There's resurrections, there's crosses everywhere. People are always talking about faith in these movies, especially Dom. Don't forget redemption. Yeah, there's constantly people turning from being bad to being good. It happens in every movie. I'm sure when you sat down to watch this, you're thinking there's no way Jake stays evil the entire movie. And of course, by the end of it, Jake is a good guy again. It's kind of funny, though. If forgiveness is being taught to us by Dom Toretto in the last two movies, say, with the forgiveness of Deckard Shaw, a man who for years now has been explicitly banned from my family barbecues. And if this franchise is actually then trying to help teach us forgiveness, then maybe I would begin to consider it. But for many years now, I have been deeply resentful of Shaw for what he did to Han. Well, now that we know what we know, can you forgive Deckard Shaw? Because he was either a part of Mr. Nobody's plan to hide Han in Tokyo, or he was just really bad at his job and never killed anybody in the first place. So do you forgive him now? And do you think that Han will forgive him knowing that in the post-credits singer of this movie, they meet up and we're, there's going to be a reckoning of some sort? The continual retconning of established fact and canon in this franchise has been interesting because it's then affected how I think of characters, you know? 
and how I think of ideas like forgiveness. So the revelation of Fast 9 is very interesting because to me, it tells me that the filmmakers are paying attention to how people receive these films. Do you think Vin Diesel actually considers the biblical aspects of this story? Okay, honestly, I think Vin Diesel is a deep thinker. I think he's open to artistic meaning being laden in uh, through layers uh, within this franchise about street racers. The fact that this started out as a story about like brawny guys racing cars and a motley crew of DVD player thefting small-time criminals with cars and turned into this thing where cars fly and there are these almost apocalyptic contraptions that they are saving not just themselves but humanity from. I feel like you have to think that Vin Diesel has had his eye on a bigger picture for a long time now. Yeah, there is a point in these films where they deviate significantly from the the norm that was established in the first few movies. And I think most people point to Fast Five being that moment where they figured out the tone and the way that the movies should work. And Justin Lin was a huge part of that evolution as much as it, I think Vin Diesel was. Do you think Justin Lin gets enough credit for turning this franchise into something that could be not just a street racing story that was kind of fun, but like a global blockbuster phenomenon. Absolutely not. Justin Lin does not get enough credit until recently, I would say. I think that pointing back to the third movie, Tokyo Drift, which was the first one that he came in on in this franchise, what happens at the end, right? We have had this whole story of new characters, Lucas Black and Sung Kang in Tokyo drifting. And then at the end, we have the stinger that predates all the Avengers post credit stingers where Vin Diesel comes back around and ties the whole room together, ties the whole world together. And so Justin Lin at the helm has been doing sort of quietly revolutionary things with this franchise since the start. We pointed this out earlier in the episode, but I am flabbergasted that we have seen Han's death so many times in this franchise now. Like, how many times do we have to see poor Han die? It is interesting because, like, why, right? The question is, why do we have to see Han die so many times? Is it because his death is incredibly meaningful? You know, everybody needs to be reminded of that loss. I think Han's death, I mean, there's Letty's death too, right? There have been impactful deaths and also impactful returns from death in this franchise. But the Han return is, is frankly one of the most meaningful ones that we've seen, I think, in cinema. <laughs> Let's go wide with it. <laughs> and I'll tell you why. <laughs> How many times we have seen the car crash, the fiery car crash in Tokyo Drift, then replays several times. And it reminds us of what this family lost. But this franchise and its themes of family really then dug in. Like, what does it mean when you lose somebody? You could say that there's three recurring themes in the whole franchise. Hashtag family. There's writing or dying. <laughs> yes, yes. Also, the healing power of coronas, I would say, is another <laughs> important <laughs> recurring theme. I had a couple coronas during the screening, actually. Oh, did you? And... Does it make you feel like you're home? It does. Yeah, it made me feel like everyone in that theater was my family. 
That's why I asked everybody in the theater for 50 bucks. Um, you're making a really interesting point about the importance of Han. And it does seem like there is so much love for Han that his death being repeated and replayed over and over again is significant. And part of that might just be because that is the inflection point upon which the chronology of the films exists is <laughs> it's sort of like BC and AD. It's before Han's explosion and after Han's explosion is how you figure out what the timeline is. Like, why is Han, though, so important? Yeah, it's so interesting because, like, this is kind of a rarity right, in movies. Han retroactively now has an origin story. The very first movie that Sung Kang and Justin Lin did together was one of Justin Lin's first movies, and that was this indie movie called Better Luck Tomorrow, which is still heralded as sort of a landmark in Asian-American indie cinema, almost sadly also because there's not that much, right? But this was a film about Asian-American teens who are expected to be model minorities, totally breaking bad and committing crimes. Sung Kang is in it playing a character named Han who is super cool. And now it's sort of accepted as the origin story in this cosmic Justin Lin cinematic universe of Sung Kang's Fast and Furious character, Han. But the reason why I think Han in Fast and Furious is so beloved is because, A, in Tokyo Drift, he's just like a cool guy. He's a cowboy who has been running from some mysterious past. Sun Kang was so cool in this role that he was brought back from the dead for the next movie, which Justin Lin did also. So it's this completely unusual, completely also unpredictable course of events to bring back a character because he was so like popular enough and because it did this something really cool and unique with the timeline right so tokyo drift is really this anomaly in franchise building that's right i don't know if you've ever read the original script for the fast and the furious no are you going to send it to me after this podcast if i still have it yes i will please don't sue me universal pictures but the uh, original shooting script of this movie before Vin Diesel came on when they were trying to get Timothy Oliphant to play Tom. The Toretto family was racist. They were just straight up racist. The N-word is used in this movie once or twice. It's more like this is a traditional Italian gangster story where these people are just like gross and you don't like them. But the family aspect of it is something you associate with Italian characters. That's why he's Dominic Toretto. He was supposed to be Italian. And so all that stuff got stripped out when Vin Diesel was cast. But even in the production of the movie, the actual film that we saw, there isn't the kind of like flavor of multiculturalism that comes after two and three when we get to four. And then we really hypercharge it by five and six, where it's like, OK, this is the United Colors of Benetton. Everybody is a some race and some unidentifiable mixture of cultures to bring us back to the spiritual themes of this movie it's very rare that you get any kind of <laughs> biblical narrative or story about religion or about faith that does include people of color and this kind of recontextualizes a lot of themes that are inherent in most western religions with a multicultural cast of characters is it only possible for us to accept these kinds of stories 
with people of color if they are <laughs> about illegal street racing and spies and stuff? I think Hollywood storytelling has expanded in its thinking real fast by small measures lately, but I could totally see that happening. To bring it back to Fast and Furious, if say you're pitching such a thing and you point to the success of the Fast and Furious billions dollar plus franchise as a, a success story that showed the marketability and the, the profitability of inclusive leads in a franchise. I think that's one of the gifts that this these movies have given to at least studio filmmaking is like showing, yes, this works. It's something also that you had just touched on in terms of like how the movies became more and more multicultural. They also scaled up. They went from being multicultural across different American, you know, locales to being a global franchise. So I feel like that is a huge part of why it's successful. And I think it could be replicated if somebody just has the courage to try it. Well, maybe someone will be listening to this podcast and say, it's time. Where do you see this franchise going? Because we know we're wrapping up. We have gone to space. The thing that the Fast and Furious fans have been asking for for years, we finally got. You got <laughs> Roman and Tej in space. Now what? Can we send them to heaven? Is that what's going to happen? What do you want to happen? I love this question because never did it occur to me while watching any of these movies or Fast 9. Uh, I know lately people have been really fixated on the idea of dinosaurs. There's talk of a Jurassic World Fast and Furious crossover, which wouldn't make any sense. But you could totally picture already, right? It doesn't make sense, but it does make sense. Sure. But you'd have to figure out the chronology of it and have like Jurassic Park take place during the last Fast and Furious movie or something. I don't know how you would you would make that work from a logic standpoint. I'm sorry, from a logical standpoint, Dave? I know, you're right. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. What am I talking about? This is called Galaxy Brains. I shouldn't be talking about logic anymore. This franchise shows you that anything can be written around and explained away and take you into... Uncharted territory. You know what other story can do that? The Bible. Okay. <laughs> I got it. Yeah, I gotcha. All of my knowledge is based on Earth, Toretto family shenanigans. So you ask, could they go to heaven next? If they went to heaven next in Fast 10, where would they go in Fast 11, Dave? Okay, so if they, they're going to heaven at the end of 11. If my theory is correct... And Mr. Nobody reveals himself to be the Lord himself. He will grant them salvation in the final movie. But it will not be in the 10th one. The 10th one is going to have to be Jake coming back into the family and how they reintegrate him into the family. And then the 11th one is a climactic battle between good and evil. I understand that you're not a religious person, Jen. You don't know a lot about religion. But you have learned so much about religion through the Fast and Furious movies. You're talking about redemption resurrections we're talking about family we're talking about legacies we're talking about good versus evil it's all in the book 
And it's all in these movies. So you really have gotten a religious education just watching these films. This is actually true. And is it religious education or is it low-key indoctrination? I don't know. Is it something that had ever occurred to me before doing this podcast? Absolutely not. But I do want to say I am now even more open to this possible reading and excited to see if the filmmakers in the next few allegedly final installments bring that home. I hope so. I mean, Justin Lin is back for the last two. Dom is going to be around, so that means Vin Diesel is going to be, you know, shepherding the the story, so to speak. Uh, Pun intended, shepherding. You know what I mean? Oh, wow. My last question for you, Jen, the thing that will wrap this up. If you died and went to heaven, and heaven ended up being a never-ending cookout at Dom's house in Echo Park in Los Angeles, what would you bring to the cookout you would have to eat for the rest of eternity. Oh. Mm-hmm. One of the questions you asked earlier was why is Han so important to this franchise? Another reason Han is important and his death and his resurrection is because he was the most prominent and most important member of the core Toretto family who is Asian American. You know, and we talk about the importance of multiculturalism throughout this franchise. Killing off your only main Asian family member and then inviting his killer to the barbecue. Such a bad look. Having him back in in Fast 9, I think, is a salve. It feels better. So in that spirit, I think I would bring some Korean barbecue to the to the cookout. I love this idea. I think it's great. Could I eat that for eternity? Probably. Mm -hmm. I think so. Because there would be no, I'm in heaven, so I wouldn't be gaining any weight. What would you bring? What's your answer to this question? Probably a never-ending supply of martinis. Oh. I know Dom would be like, what are you drinking that shit for? And I'd be like, well, because I like it. But if I'm in heaven, if I'm in heaven, Jen, I can drink whatever I want. (laughs) As we're having the never-ending barbecue, which sounds actually hellish now that you think about it. No, it sounds wonderful. I did bring one more tidbit to this conversation that I thought was very important. If Dom is an angel sent here to spread the gospel of hashtag family, has he saved you yet, Dave? I've been saved 100%. I was saved when Dom was saved by Letty in the water. And the real angel of this entire conversation is actually you, Jen. Oh, my. Oh, my. So thank you so much for coming on here and humoring me. And uh, I look forward to watching these movies with you in person very soon. I'll see you in the forever cookout. See you in the forever cookout and we'll we'll talk. That's how we should say goodbye to each other from now on. See you in the forever cookout. Bye. See you in the forever cookout. Each week we end the show with a call from one of our listeners to hear their galaxy brain take. Here's one now. Hi, my name is Josh Rivera, and I love overthinking the Fast and Furious movies. My take is that they're not actually about family, per se. I mean, like, sure, that's that's important. But really, to me, they are like a sci-fi fantasy about how, what the world could be like if we stopped, you know, arresting people of color for petty crimes, right? You could lock us all up for for stealing dvd players or you could you could work with us and then you'll have a team of extremely capable and skilled drivers to do elite missions around the world and clean up your messes and look how much good that's done for the world so uh yeah trust dominic toretta
I got a, a very serious problem with this take, okay? I understand where he's coming from. Josh, I get it. You know, I'm a person of color too. I don't want to get pulled over for nothing. But what you're saying is if we stop incarcerating people of color, that we'll all become super spies? And that's a net positive for the world? Also, Dominic Toretto and the family, you know, they're great and everything, but the collateral damage in these films is staggering. People, civilians, dying left and right, okay? There were cars flying through coffee shops in this movie, flying through the post office, gastro pubs, uh, Chili's, <laughs> Buffalo Wild Wings, uh, Hooters, uh, Olive Garden, uh, all of those places just devastated by these flying magnet cars. Like, you think that that's what we need for the world? I don't think so. I like the idea that someone was would be like you know, doing a petty crime and then a cop came up to him and was like, how do you feel about instead of going to prison, working for the U.S. government? Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes, the U.S. government that I trust implicitly. Of course. Well, technically, Mr. Nobody does not work for the government. That's why he's God. Okay. He's above the government. That's a good point. What other petty criminals from movies can we, maybe Warren from Empire Records can ask Warren if he wants to stop stealing CDs and, and become a super spy? Ratso Rizzo gets his act together. Finally. You see Midnight Cowboy, you know. Madonna from Desperately Seeking Susan. Maybe she can become the next Black Widow. Rob Schneider and Judge Dredd. He was a cop. No, that's Demolition Man. God damn it, Joda. He plays Fergie in Judge Dredd. In Demolition Man, he's the dispatch officer for the San Angeles Police Department. And he's friends with the Surf Ninjas, correct? That's the Water Boy, you stupid bastard. <laughs> God damn it. That's a wrap on this week's Galaxy Brains. Next week, we'll be back to talk about the social media comedy thriller hybrid, Zola. Galaxy Brains is produced by Kylie Holloway and me, Dave Schilling. The show is engineered by Dan Turek with music from Gautam Trikishin. Our executive producer is Matt Patches and our developing producer is Zach Mack. Polygon's editor-in-chief is Chris Plant and Russ Frushtick is the director of special projects. Special thanks to Andrew Melnizik who helped create the show. Until next time, I'm family. And I'm Dave? <laughs> Until next time, I'm Jonah. And I'm family? <laughs> Which one of us is family, for God's sake? Let's go to Olive Garden. We'll both be family. <laughs> when we're there, maybe. Why isn't there at least one scene in a Fast and Furious franchise where they don't have the barbecue, they just go to Olive Garden because when they're there, they're actually family. I guarantee you someone at Universal pitched that idea to Vin Diesel and he said, I'm going to think about that. Yeah, no, I'm not going to do that. And that was the end of it. That was it, yeah. Well, anyway, let's go to Muda in Space. <laughs> all right, all right, all right. Fire them up. We go live in five. It's time for ignition and straight up automobile pimping. Too fast.